Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Hello, my name is Sarah Fletcher. I am on pastoral staff with Chi Alpha. It is my privilege to bring the word to you tonight. Uh, If you don't know me, something about me. Uh, I don't normally share this, but it matches our message for tonight. So I'll I'll take a risk. The norm or the reason I don't normally share it is people generally tend to misuse the information, which is that I am easily frightened. So, uh, as an example of this, this weekend, uh, it was early morning, I was still in my pajamas, and a car starts driving down my driveway, and I know nobody's supposed to be coming to my house, nobody's coming over, and I kid you not, my initial instinct was to jump into the closet and shut the door. And then about four seconds later, I realized I'm 32, I'm a grown woman, and I just walked to my door and they had already turned around. Uh, So, uh, but I am a creature of fear. There are things that make me anxious. And the thing is, we are genetically predisposed to have things we're afraid of, right? Uh, And some of them we almost like to joke about. They're they're so common. Uh, And so to start us off, you know, a little lightly, I'd love to see some like straw polls of how we feel about the fear of the following things. Number one. Anybody afraid? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, we've got about half. Have any of you ever seen a shark? Oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Okay, your fear is legitimate. I bless it. Um, (laughs) uh, So sharks, very common fear. Another common fear. (laughs) I planted that for dramatic effects. I'm sorry, we're talking about fear. You need a little levity. Thanks, Paige. Uh, So... (laughs) <laughs> but how many of you are afraid of clowns? Not as many. Okay, okay, we've even got a few. Okay, a couple, a little bit, maybe? Okay, great. Uh, we've also got the dark. Anybody have a basement? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also have tornadoes. <gasps> Yeah. Anybody ever seen a tornado? I would love to hear the story afterward. Come share it with me. Uh, And some people are afraid of... (laughs) Thanks for screaming. That was fun. Uh, Didn't even plant that one. Sharknado. Um, All of this to say, there are a lot of things to be afraid of, but I would like to talk about one fear that rises above the rest. The fear to rule them all. And that is the octopus. That is my fear. Sharks, nothing. Tornadoes, I'll take them. But the octopus, I, I'm, I'm literally not kidding you. If you were in my Sikkim house, you, you definitely know this. Okay, so did you know that for over 100 years, when people have been putting octopi into aquariums, there have been stories and proof that they have been able to get out of their tank in the aquarium, find their way to another tank, eat the fish, and then get back in theirs like they're not going to be caught. They have problem-solving skills. Did you know that uh, octopi, all of them are predatory? All of them are venomous? Their brains extend through their arms? And if you chop off an arm, it grows back like they didn't already have an advantage on us. (sighs) 
they are terrifying. Um, and uh, the, the one that really gets me is that scientists have proven that they have a capacity for both anger and boredom. Anger, I don't really care about. People get dumb when they're angry, but when people are bored, whoo, the evil genius comes out. What if they just decide to come up? They are so smart, you guys. They terrify me. I, like, I, you wonder why there's not a picture. I tried to put it in the slides, but I got so anxious looking at the pictures, I couldn't even click on them to make them bigger. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Um, they're too smart, and they scare me. Uh, but our, our sermon series, don't worry, I'm making the turn. We're out of it, uh, is foundations. Uh, foundations are things we stand upon when we are afraid, things that we expect to give us security, give us safety. And the foundation I stand upon is solid land. Uh, and it's also Charlottesville being 594 feet above sea level. But again, the moment they figure it out, we're done. We're done. Uh, so, but that's not the point. The point is, we all have things that we are afraid of. Uh, and there, there are much more legitimate fears than sharks, though, again, you guys have proven me wrong. You've seen a lot of sharks. Um, there's fears about not having enough money. There are fears of the people we love dying, natural disasters, shootings, unemployment, being seen as lacking being alone, and thinking about those things might give you that same sort of like visceral anxiety that I get when I think about the octopus. Um, that, that there's just something in you that when you think about that thing, you just can't sit still. Your heart can't sit still because it makes you so fearful. It's a terrible feeling. Romans 8, 20, 21 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God, which is a very complicated way of saying that the world is broken by sin, that it is in bondage to decay, that things break around us, whether our bodies or our environments or our relationships. And when things are shaky, when bondage and decay are around us, we always look for foundations to stand upon. We look for safe and stocked havens. How do I know this is true? Have you ever been to a grocery store when there's a snowstorm coming? We grab everything we think we might need. It's empty. It's taken out. People are taking things they don't need. I walk into a grocery store and I think, maybe this is the week I need three loaves of bread. When have I ever made it through three loaves of bread? I haven't. But there's just something in us that panics and wants to seize things to give us security. We want a foundation because of our fear. God understands this about us. God understands that we have fears, that we're seeking foundations, and he wants to offer one. He wants to be a foundation for us. And so he gives us promises about what he does in our life, promises about who he is. And one of the most famous promises of the Bible is in our scripture today. Uh, and I'm sure many of you have heard it. Maybe you've memorized it. Maybe you keep it close to your heart. It's Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Anyone memorize that one or, or like to read that one? Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful verse, a beautiful promise. But what does it mean? All things. All things in this crazy and broken world? I can tell you that I've looked at my life before, looked at all the things and thought, this doesn't feel so good for me, right? Um, yeah, we're in another message on suffering. 
if you heard my message a couple weeks ago, it's okay. This one has a lot of hope, too. There are things that are difficult. We need foundations. God has offered us a promise that he is working, but what does it mean when we look around us and it doesn't always look good? Work with me here. So I once heard someone say that if the Bible was a ring, Romans, the book of Romans, would be the jewel, and that Romans 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel because of how magnificent it is. I don't know if you've noticed, but this is our third message in the eighth chapter of Romans. There's a point. It's powerful. It is huge. It's got such wonderful truths of the gospel. The first one we heard was about how we have freedom through the Spirit, that, uh, that we no longer live under condemnation, but under blessing because of what God has done. We are free. The second one was on adoption, an incredible message by Pete and Amy uh, that I know I was incredibly personally moved by. We are adopted by God, and we get to call him Abba, Father. Um, So we're free because of the Spirit, and we are adopted by God. And yet, can I tell you, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because I can say it, and I can know it, and I can believe it, but that doesn't mean I always believe it fully, that there isn't something in me that's wondering, is that really true? And Paul knows this when he's writing the book of Romans. And so the verse that we're getting into now, this cha- the end of the chapter, is built off those first two things. He's trying to put this emphasis underneath it of saying, you can trust this. Believe this. This is good. And so what we're going to look at is going to flow from that. Uh, and the reason Paul wants to share this is he knows that people are going to be tested in their beliefs. They're going to be tested in their faith. Trials are going to come. It happens. And in fact, six years after the writing of the book of Romans, uh, the Roman church uh, faced terrible persecution that came from the Roman emperor Nero. It started then. Uh, They weren't just killed. They they were brutalized for sport. They were put into the Colosseum. They were crucified. They were, they had the... Uh, hides of beasts put on them and then sent out with packs of dogs to chase them. Uh, And this one is so brutal, I I almost like don't even want to share it except for the fact that it's true. And I think sometimes we need to speak truth about things that hurt our heart. But Nero actually would light Christians afire to use them as torches at his dinner party. That is the persecution that the church was facing six years later. And so Paul didn't maybe know that that is what was going to happen, but he knew that there would be trials. He knew that he wanted them to trust that God was for them, that they were adopted, that they were free, that he was working for their good. And so if God is working all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, How does he undergird that? How does he help us to believe that's true? Because there will be days where we face persecution too, or trial, or trouble. I want to help us believe. So tonight we're going to be walking through this latter half of the uh, eighth chapter of Romans. If you do not, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture. It will be on the screen, but if you do not have a Bible, um, I encourage you, uh, we have some available in the back. There's some staff who would love to bring you one. Uh, these are for you. You can keep it. So if you do not have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand and we will be happy to bring you one. Anybody? Yes. Great. Cool. So Romans 8, you can turn there now. Paul is going to give us four points 
to support this phenomenal text that God works all things together for our good. And it starts in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory. Oh, sorry, point one. Check my notes. Got distracted. Uh, The first thing he does is that he gives us perspective on suffering. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I wonder if the Roman church read this at night six years later, if they repeated it over and over and over again to remind themselves that their current suffering was not worth comparing to the glory that God was going to work in their lives. And how true it must have felt that the entire world felt like it was groaning in pain. Have any of you ever just felt like you looked around the world and it just seemed like it was groaning with pain? But there's a strange thing. That in the midst of all that groaning, of all this death, Paul says that that groaning, even though it feels fatal, something mysterious, it's not actually about death. It's about life. It's about birth. I've been to two births. I've seen two baby boys be born. It is the wildest thing. Um, And there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of groaning, but there's so much beauty and there's so much love in that family because of what happens. These labor pangs we see in creation are pointing towards something. They're pointing towards not just the liberation of all creation from what sin wreaked upon it, but the glorious revealing of the children of God. But you say, hold up, Sarah, didn't we just read earlier in the chapter that we're already adopted? Don't we already know we're children of God? Yes, you're right. This is something different. This isn't talking about the fact that we are adopted. We are adopted. It's talking about the homecoming, right? That that seeing of that new heavens, new earth, that place that we are longing for, that home. It says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We are waiting patiently for that hope of this beautiful home with our Father, right? And so we're adopted, but we're not yet fully living in this beautiful home with the the ways of God. We know that we're a part of it, but we've only seen it in our relationship with the Father so far, right? We've seen it in his love for us, but we haven't seen it in systems. We haven't seen it in bodies. We haven't seen it. There's still so much brokenness. We are in what is called the now and the not yet. Now, you are children of God, but we're not yet there, right? In that new creation. It's almost like, and I say this not to belittle our experience, but rather to give scope. It is like for the Christian, all of life is the car ride from the courthouse where you are adopted to the front door, right? That we're in this journey home that we already have the security of our Father, but we are longing to walk in to that beautiful, beautiful space. Or 
I remember my second year of college, I was going through some pretty tough things in my family. I was going through some tough things in my health. And it just felt like everything in my life had felt so dark. And I remember crying out to God and thinking, God, isn't there more than this? Is my story going to be more than just darkness? And I was walking back from the library at night, and I was outside of Newcomb, kind of near the, the whispering wall and the fountain. Fun fact, fountain. I baptized myself in that fountain once. Before I understood that you get baptized in community, I just thought you had to like do it. And I was like, okay, I'm a believer. I guess I may as well. And I just baptized myself at night. Um, but uh, so, yep, that is true. Uh, I, but God really speaks to me near the whispering wall. I don't know. I should walk there more often, but I'm walking by the whispering wall. And uh, I feel like the Lord gives me this picture. I hadn't even been praying about it. I'd just been feeling this weight. And it was like the Lord came to me and he said, Sarah, all of this darkness that you feel trapped in, it is like the shadow on a blade of grass in the majestic picture that I am making of your life. I know it feels so big, but I want you to imagine the, la- the largest landscape you've ever seen, and it is just that shadow on a blade of grass, because your life and your story is going to be so much more than this suffering you feel right now. Have you ever thought about that? What feels all-consuming right now is not even worth comparing to the majesty of the story that God is writing in your life. God is giving us perspective. Paul is using the scripture to give us perspective Even the worst suffering we can imagine, the ones that almost hurt to say out loud, those are small compared to the glory of what God is bringing in our lives. So that's point one. Second, Paul reminds us that we have help in our weakness. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Paul is giving us the grace to admit that even when we become a believer, we aren't suddenly these like super soldiers. We don't suddenly have the ability to do all the things that we're supposed to or the courage to do it. Even as Christians, we remain weak in and of ourselves. Our bodies might remain weak or our courage or um, maybe weak in our faith or weak in our resistance to sinful desires. And Paul is saying that God's spirit is with us and God's spirit makes all the difference. He steps in. He helps with the burden. What we don't even know to ask for anymore, the Spirit prays for us. And can we just pause with like kind of how big that is? If God's Spirit is praying something for you, don't you think that prayer is probably going to happen? Like sometimes I pray things and I'm like, but there's probably a lot of people praying things against me, like UVA sports, you know, I'm like the other team is probably praying too. We'll see, you know, is it like a a numbers game? I don't know. Um, It's not like that, right? Like if God's spirit is praying it for you, how trustworthy is that prayer's answer? And what's beautiful about this is that Paul is saying, even when we are at our weakest, even when we don't know how to pray, even maybe when we are falling short, When we are failing, God's spirit is interceding for us. God himself is praying for our good. So not only is our suffering not worth comparing with the glory that he is bringing, that homeward bound momentum towards his kingdom, but also we have help in our weakness along the way. He's praying for us. He's helping us. Um, It goes on... uh, 
Oh, and now we reach our, our promise, right? We reach our verse in the text. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Why am I sharing this tonight? I think it's a good thing that we memorize this verse. I think it's a good thing that, that we read it often. But I think too often we read it and we think that it's about good things happening. We think it's about making the A or we think it's about getting the internship. And then when hardship comes, when the things that we think are good don't happen, we're left with only two choices. Either God failed or I did. And both of those things are so empty and so dark. And that when one of those things is true, so often it just becomes a recipe for someone saying, I, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if I can do this. And they just walk away. That is not what this verse is about. If you have thought that is what that verse is about, I want to free you from that. Because that is not going to bless your faith. It's not going to bless your walk. Yes, I hope amazing things happen to you. I hope you get all the internships. I hope you get all the A's. But the reality is there will be things that are difficult that happen. But that's not what God is talking about here. If we look at the text, we say it doesn't say that the things are good. It says that in all things, God is working good. When we read it in context, it makes more sense. It's flowed right out of this passage on suffering and groaning and the Holy Spirit helping us when things are hard. Things might be difficult sometimes, but God is working for our good in the midst of them. So we've had two points before the text that are supporting it, and now we're going to have two points that flow out of it. So third, Paul defines the good. Isn't that helpful? We're like, well, if the good is not good things happening, what is the good? Paul answers it in the next verse. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The good that is being talked about in this verse is that we get to look more like God that he is helping us to bear the image of Jesus in our lives, that when we're in this future hope, in this future home, it is going to be populated by people who are just as loving and just as holy and just as just and just as merciful as God is. That's who we are going to be. Because if there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in perfect shalom, if we don't look like him, we don't belong there. God is so holy. God is so good that, that he cannot abide sin. And honestly, if we were our broken selves and we were in a new heavens, new earth, we'd break it just like this one. We need to be transformed into the image of God. If that glory of living with him, re reconciled with him, in his kingdom, in his home as his children, if that is going to happen, we have to be conformed to his image. And what a beautiful thing. I want to be more loving. I want to be more merciful. I want to be more self-sacrificial. This is the good that is being talked about. That no matter if good things in your life happen or bad things in your life happen, God is working so that you will become more the image of his son. That, that even when you're facing the persecutions of Rome— that you are going to have more confidence. You are going to have more courage. You are going to have maybe just more submission to the will of God, whatever it is. He is going to work that situation. Not that he gave you this bad situation, but he's going to use it for good. Does that make sense? 
Are you with me? It's like, it's a tough thing. I f- like, it's so difficult, but it's so good. It's so true. Um, we need to have our, our selfishness removed. We need to have our sin removed until what's left is the character of Jesus. And the reality is, if you thought that God is working all things for good meant that the good things happen, those things, even if you got them, they're not going to fill you up. Even if your entire life was lived to avoid suffering, that doesn't mean that you're also going to be satisfied. You can be safe and incredibly unsatisfied. C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself desires nothing in the world can satisfy, then I can only conclude that I was not made for here. Guess what? You're not. You are made for a place of perfect peace. You are made for a place where labor is actually a joy. You are made for a place where every single person is someone who loves you and sees your value. That is what we're made for. There's a reason that all of these things don't satisfy us. This world is not made for that, but God desires to work that in our stories. He is working everything in this broken world for the good of us seeing that kingdom. And finally, the fourth point Paul reminds us of is who is in charge of getting us to that final destination. He is. Giving it away. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What is this verse? This verse is talking about our, the process of salvation, how it happened. Let me walk you through it. First of all, your salvation was in God's heart and mind. He foreknew you. He has a goal for you, predestined. He initiated this in your life, the call. He accomplishes it, the justification by Christ on the cross. And he completes it. He glorifies. From the beginning to the end, all of this is God's work. Isn't that good news? And can I be clear here? Paul is not trying to answer a philosophical question about determinism versus free will. That whole debate would not arise till centuries later. I want you to look at the text right here for what it is. Paul is trying to help the Roman church truly understand the concept of grace. That they don't have to earn this. That God's got it. That he planned this. He's working it. He's getting you there. When you are weak, he is praying for you. He is helping you. You do not have to fear. You will see that kingdom of God not by any work of your own. And that in fact, if we go back and we look at the verse, um, there is only one thing we have to do. So I'm cheating a little bit. There is one thing. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God calls us. What do we do? We just love him. (laughs) That's pretty easy work. We just get to love God. He does the work. He sustains us. He justifies us. He sent Jesus to the cross that this resurrection, all of this was for us. And all we have to do is say, Abba, Father, I love you. 
We just get to live as adopted children. That is our foundation. No matter what you fear, no matter what you face, this is what you can cling to, that he's got it. And all you have to do is love him. I also want you to note the tense um, in, uh, let's see, verse 30. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Paul is so certain of it, it's past tense. Like, we know it hasn't happened yet, right? Like, I do not have a glorified body right now. Uh, but, but Paul, it's, it's so certain. God, it, like, God is so trustworthy that you may as well say it's done. That is how trustworthy this foundation is. And just like the Romans, you are going to face things. Six years from now, 16 years from now, 60 years from now. The reality is I've seen it in my graduating class. There's some beautiful things that have happened. There is a whole pack of Chi Alpha kids. There is spectacular things, but there are also miscarriages. And there are also diagnoses of cancer. There's also the death of parents, layoffs, unwanted singleness, and the most incredible women of God, men. Uh, (laughs) The most incredible women of God who want to be wives and who want to be mothers, and it's just not happened. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes either. Um, This always happens. Uh, um, I just get passionate. I get going. uh, And then I I don't have a filter. The Lord is working. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Men, there are some beautiful women of God in this room. I've gone too far. Okay. But in the midst of those things that I hope don't happen to you, but might, I want you to remember that in all things, God is working for your good. That he is shaping you into the image of his son. And that nothing can stop it from happening. You've just got to love him. Your sin won't stop it from happening. Your doubt won't stop it from happening. The Spirit's interceding for you. Just keep going. Just keep loving him. Just say, Father, I don't understand, but I'm going to love you. That future is so secure, it's past tense. So what do we say in response to this? If this is our foundation, how are we supposed to respond? What are we supposed to say? How are we supposed to live? Paul tells us, Romans 8 is great. 31, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? The answer is inherent. No one. No one can be against you. I've talked with so many people who are scared of their family or their grades or even just their own like sin patterns are going to keep them from God's plan for their life. They're like, it's all going to be messed up. God's plan for my life. I messed it up. Or they, it's not going to happen. God's plan is that you would be conformed to the image of his son so that this little shadow on a blade of grass of your life right now gets to like expand into this magnificent landscape of glory. That's his plan for your life. I mean, I hope he like leads you to a job where you can, you know, have fun and go to the movies if you want to. But, but like, that's not his plan for your life. His plan is that you would look like his son and that you would be his child forever. That's his plan. There is no enemy who can keep that from you, even you. 
32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you think there's not any more grace? Do you think there's not any more like encouragement or favor or love? It would be like, okay, um, God is, is perfect. I know not everybody got this. This is a, a really fantastic image, but imagine that your parent paid for your entire tuition, right? Some of you are like, I wish God would do that. Uh, he is doing it. He's going to do it in different ways. I'm sorry. That was also not in my notes. But your parent pays for your entire tuition, and then they get you to grounds, and they find out you have to pay $250 for books that semester. And they say, nope, nope, I'm done. I take it all back. Tuition money is gone. You're not going. That $250 broke it. No way. What? No, that parent's going to pay $250 for the book, or they're going to say, hey, go get a job. I don't know. But the point being, God has given his son. He has paid it all. Do you think that thing that you feel guilty about that needs some grace, he's not going to also give you grace and restore you and help you to look, to, to be encouraged and to learn that sin is dark and he is great? There's more to give. He will graciously give us all things that we need. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, amen, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So not only is the Holy Spirit praying for us, but Christ is praying for us. Who can condemn us if God himself is not? I found that for most people I know, the greatest voice of condemnation in their lives is themselves. If the God who purposed your glory has declared you righteous, how dare you call yourself something else? You are not too sinful for God to work in you. You are not too broken for God to work in you. Christ himself is interceding for you and he won't turn his face from you. Just love him. Just wait. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Really, all the other questions were just versions of this one, right? That's our fear. Is there anything, anything that could separate me from the love of Christ? Flip the page. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face all day long, or we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What's the next word? No. Is that not in there? Is that a different version? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? More than conquerors. The word in the Greek is hypernakao. Uh, hyper, which is like an exaggeration, and Nike, uh, winner or conqueror. So when we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, this isn't saying that like we make it to the end of our life and we're like, oh, downtrodden and we're terrible. And gosh, that was terrible. Oh my goodness gracious, but I made it, God. No. We are rushing through. We have energy to spare. We, have, we are going through with this confidence and this strength. We could go another mile. 
That is what God is working in us. Have you ever seen those really old people who like have loved Jesus all their life and maybe they're on their deathbed, but they're just like the strongest people you've ever met and they're just so like content? They are conquerors. This world doesn't hold anything on them. Wow. God has moved in their life. He's bringing glory. There is a race that you are running right now. And that heavenly home is our finish line. It's the beautiful finish line. He's going to walk you through, not just walk, but you are going to run through in victory. Not as a captive, as a, as a conqueror. And it goes on, for I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's so beautiful. This chapter is just sparkling with truth, and with hope. This is our foundation that we get to stand upon. God is our foundation. He is the solid rock on which I stand. I am secure. I am saved. I am glorified. Not yet, but also now. You don't have to be afraid. I know there's so much fear in this room. I understand it. I'm afraid sometimes myself. I want you to think back to that grocery store, right? Like a snowstorm is coming or a hurricane is coming and the entire earth, what we're doing is we're just people who rush in and we're pushing people out of the way, trying to seize things off the shelves, anything that we think can keep us safe or keep us comfortable or keep us satisfied in the storm that is coming. We don't even just take what we need, we hoard it. We grab things from other people. We deprive them just so that we might have some extra. That's what this world looks like in this storm of sin. Can I tell you, you don't have to live that way. You don't. You don't have to go to the grocery store. God's going to give you everything you need. You don't have to grasp for approval. You don't have to grasp for your GPA. You don't have to grasp for fill in the blank with whatever is the thing that you think that you need to be secure. Trust God. He has a glorious plan for your life. He is your father, you're in his household, and you're racing towards home. So, how do we respond? Love, certainly. How do we respond? Honestly, we did not plan this this way, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think we respond in worship, right? Because if we're just supposed to love him, And we're just supposed to wait as he does this work, as we're on that race, that journey, that car ride home. If that is what we are supposed to do, maybe love and waiting looks like worship. And worship is all of our lives. Your work can be worship. Your friendships, worship in that. Like you can, like worship is how you live. It's how you bring God into that. But worship is also here. And I I think that sometimes we come to a moment of worship and we, oh, I guess worship team, you can come up. Um, We come to a moment of worship and it just feels perfunctory, right? It's like the thing we do. It's just, 
Or sometimes, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I think sometimes I was this person, so I'm not judging you. Like when the person comes on in the keys and you're like, oh my goodness, making them sound spiritual. Like we make jokes about it, but the reality is some of you are uncomfortable with that. I get it. It used to be me. Like music is not about that. It's not emotionalism. It's not manipulation. What it is, is it's tuning the hearts of the people of God to give him glory and to say that we love you as we wait. We don't worship because it's our liturgy. We worship because God is deserving of worship. And the natural response to truth, the natural response to this scripture is to sing your love to God and is to sing that hope for his kingdom and is to sing everything I have is yours because you have given everything to me. We're going to worship tonight. Again, we're going to have one song and then I'll come up and do the benediction. And if you need to go, you can go. But I know you don't have class tomorrow. Uh, And then we're going to have three more songs. I'm sorry, you could absolutely go. I wasn't trying to shame you. There is no shame in the kingdom of God and there is no shame between us. Um, But I want you to stand. And, you know, I I didn't want to give you an assignment. I didn't want to say, I want you to lay down your fears, though I do. I didn't want to say, I want you to, like, write this verse down and repeat it every day, though that would be great. I want you to, to just rest in grace, the grace that he has brought, the grace that he has paid for. And I just want you to sing your love. And I want us as family, as brothers, as sisters, and as visitors and guests, you're, we are so grateful you're here, but we, let's just love him and say we're willing to wait because we know that this life right now is not even worth comparing the eternity of joy that we're going to have with you. Amen? Let me pray. Father God, be with us now. But we know that you are. God, we know that we are adopted and we are looking towards that forever home. But God, as we are here on this earth, help us to live as children of God. Help us to look like you more and more every day. And God, any cynicism in our hearts, any doubts in our hearts, any fear in our hearts, any sin in our hearts, Holy Spirit, be praying for us. Christ, be interceding for us. But God, make us more like you tonight. And God, as we sing, I pray that we would sing our love because you are so worthy. You have done it all and the only response is worship. We offer it to you tonight. Amen. God, we love you and we'll proclaim it every day as we wait, as we race for that kingdom where we get to look like you, where all of creation is liberated from decay. God, where those things that we have grasped on, those things we have made our foundations, they're no longer there, God, or they are glorified in their, in their beautiful, the way they're supposed to be, God. So help us now to cling to you instead. Help us to build our lives on you. But God, thank you that even when we are weak, you are strong. So God, for the moments of weakness this week, we say be with us, empower us, remind us that we are free by your spirit, that we are adopted because of the sacrifice of your son and that God, you will carry us home. You are good. We know that we can say that no matter the circumstances because you are working every circumstance for good. So take the burdens of our heart, God, yes. But Lord, um, if there are gonna be 
valleys of the shadow of death, God, walk with us through them because we know what's on the other side. And if there are green valleys, God, walk with us through them because we know it's just that journey home where we will be with you in green pastures forever. We love you and we give this night to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I will pronounce the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Well, you are free to go if you need to go. Again, no shame at all, but we are about to have a time of worshiping even more, which is beautiful. Noah was talking about the persecuted church. Can I tell you, not every religion sings. Did you know that? Not every religion sings. Some, it's not even allowed in a worshipful space. And the reason is when religion is a burden, why would you sing? But when we have the gospel When we have the freedom of grace in our lives, of course it makes sense to sing. He puts new songs in our heart every day because of the good that he is working in our lives. So as we step into this time of worship, embrace it how you want to. If you need to carry something to him or lay it at his feet, the altar space is open. You can kneel here. You can come up here. There's also going to be staff available in the front and the back. If you need prayer, If you're having trouble breaking through a wall that you you just need help to get to the other side or there's something that that you want to intercede for, we would love to pray with you and for you. And if you just want to worship in the freedom of, of a gospel where we can sing with joy, this is for you as well. And uh, I look forward to singing with you. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com 